Welcome to Optivate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hello, folks, and welcome to another iteration of Aptivate. And we have another returning guest, back-to-back returning guest, Loma Patel. I believe you were one of our early guests back in maybe early 2020. So it's really great to have you back. So we have Loma Patel joining us here. He is now the Chief Growth Officer at Tinker. And welcome to the Aptivate Podcast, Loma. I'm so excited to be back, Brian. As you said, a returning guest. And it's amazing how time has flown, but super excited to be back. Yeah. And 2020 was about almost three years ago at this point. And in the mobile space, that is a lifetime. So I'm sure we have a lot of things that we'll be able to touch on that have changed in between now and then. But let's just start off as we always do on this podcast. For those of you that haven't heard Lomit speak before, He's a thought leader in the space. He's a published author. He wrote a book called Lean AI. I would recommend every one of you that are interested in AI to pick it up. But Lomit, could you tell us a little bit about your career and how you got to be where you are today? And then we can get a little bit more into what you're currently doing. Yeah. So my career, primarily, I've worked for over 20 years in growth. And I've always been fascinated with startups from a pretty young age. And I've always wanted to work at startups. So I grew up in England, but I found my way over to Silicon Valley in San Francisco. And the thing that always intrigued me around startups is primarily how do these companies that come from nowhere suddenly become so huge? And so the whole area in startups that I've always worked in is around growth. So a big part of my focus has always been about how do you acquire customers? How do you retain, engage, and monetize users? And I've just been fascinated because as I've spent more and more time learning about growth, you you really come to realize the value of data and how important that is to really make different decisions. And to bring it all back, it's all around just having that mindset around really trying a lot of different things, really running as many experiments as possible, and just to try and figure out the answers to like what's going to work to help the company to get from one level to another. And generally what you find is to grow a company from, let's say, with a couple of hundred customers to a million is going to be completely different from once you get to a million customers to get to 10 million customers or from 10 million to 100 million. And the same when it comes to growing that revenue too. And I've been fortunate to have started and worked at a number of different startups really early that have gone on to either becoming an IPO like Roku did or being acquired by a number of other companies like Texture, which ended up being acquired and became part of Apple News. Trusted ID, which got acquired and became part of Equifax. But the long and short of it, I've just been lucky in my career. Just happened to be at the right place at the right time and having the opportunity to really work with some amazing people and some amazing products that ultimately ended up really solving something that people valued. That's great. And I think that's like a perfect transition into what your new company, Tinker, does. From what I know, it teaches kids how to code. And I myself attended a coding school. I know the challenges that are associated with learning code, and I didn't have a tool that made it very fun. (laughs) Let's put it that way. And so I think it seems like based off the little research that I did, that Tinker helps solve for that. So let us know. Give us a little overview of what Tinker is and what you do there. 
Yeah, so what fascinated me about joining Tinker, so Tinker is actually the world's largest coding community for kids. We have over 60 million users worldwide that have used Tinker to learn how to code. And the thing that really fascinated me was to what you're saying. When I grew up, I never really learned how to code. And it was one of those things that was so technically difficult that it wasn't something that I was voluntarily going to put my hands up on. But the thing that really differentiates Tinker and really makes it the world's largest coding platform to really teach kids how to code is because they took this whole different approach where they gamified the whole experience around really using play-based approaches. And one thing, Brian, you and I could probably relate to and most of our viewers is that the way that kids really gravitate to now is really around gaming experiences. People love spending time on gaming apps. And so what Tinker did is they took that playbook to really gamify the experience of really teaching kids from really basic coding around code-based coding, created their own coding language, which is like building blocks like Lego, really taking that concept and really kids how to get grasp the basics of coding from that and then creating this award-winning curriculum that's been used by over 100,000 schools across 150 different countries. And so that really exposed more and more kids to really start learning how to code. And as they got more and more users that were using this curriculum, they were able to get more and more data to really create this really personalized experience to really make it a lot more compelling to personalize it for every student across different countries. And in the process, Kids, without realizing, have been able to learn how to code and create things like in apps, creating different music projects, and really learning concepts like AI too now. So we have the AI concept. But the key thing is it was really a gamified experience that continues to make it fun. And then having this huge community of millions of kids that are there to really encourage all these new kids that are creating these projects. So you get that validation with this huge community as well as the tools to really learn how to do it yourself. That's great. This sounds like the quintessential, you need a good product before you actually grow. It really sounds like they've hit the nail on the head in terms of how to make an experience fun and interesting for a kid to learn coding. Obviously, 60 million users, that's a huge number. How has the company seen success in getting to that point? Has it been a lot of organic growth? Has it been teachers passing it along to different schools? Is it included in curriculums now? Like this is obviously not the same game growth trajectory that we are used to in terms of putting money into UA and then eventually investing in things like retargeting. It sounds like it's very different. So could you help me understand and help the listeners understand how you guys got to the point of 60 million users? Yeah, so I would say you touched on a lot of the key components, but ultimately it really comes down to product-led growth. So Tinker, like a lot of other companies out there that have been really successful with applying product-led growth, like Zoom, a lot of the social networks like Facebook, and it really comes down to creating a compelling product that people can see value. So for Tinker, it was really about trying to personalize the experience and be able to get kids to really learn the product is to learn the code, which for the most part is a very dry and challenging topic to really learn ordinarily to really make it fun and easy. And once they were able to make it fun and easy, it was a matter of getting teachers to really learn about the product. And for the most part, schools, once they started trying the product, they were able to see that value and, and see the kids getting so excited, wanting to learn how to code. And the bigger part of coding is it really 
it's more than just learning kids how to code. It really feeds into getting them to be better at the whole area of STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. It really feeds into that. And then the other part is it really feeds into helping them to become more confident because learning code is like learning another language and it ends up building resilience because you're not going to get it right the first time. You have to be persistent in learning it. And it helps you to build the confidence of following through, solving different problems, and really learning the basic concepts of creating these different rules because what you're doing at the end of the day is just giving the machine instructions on what you want it to do. I feel that in terms of the big growth hammers really came from schools really adopting this because it was really working, teachers really telling other teachers about it. And then in terms of discoverability for kids and parents, for kids primarily what Tinker was able to do was figure out certain use cases where kids could really be able to see the value really quickly. And so One example is Minecraft. There's so many millions of kids that love playing Minecraft. And so what Tinker ended up doing was creating these tools that really made it really easy for kids to come into Tinker and create these different modifications that they wanted to do for their Minecraft and be able to apply that back into Minecraft. So that really ended up becoming a whole viral growth loop in itself because as more kids started creating projects and then sharing it, more other kids started discovering that Tinker's a place to go to do this. So that in itself drove millions of new users for us. Another way to drive millions of new users was when kids are creating projects on Tinker, once they save and publish those projects, we're able to create SEO content around that. So then other kids start discovering a lot of this user-generated content. And that became another flywheel, just having user-generated content that attracted a lot of users. And then beyond that, the basics around SEO marketing, where you just put in a lot of compelling content to really educate parents around the value. Because as I say, in life, too much screen time is bad, but there's certain screen times that are better than others. And we like to think that kids spending more time on Tinker isn't necessarily the same as just them watching more videos on YouTube. It actually helps them. That's really great. And like a lot of really good points about product-led growth there that you bring up. I'm interested in learning a little bit more about this Minecraft. What I'm really interested in digging into a little bit more is like this Minecraft integration. Minecraft is obviously huge for kids. You described it. How did that come into being? That almost feels like, to me, a product-led growth hack, almost, where it's a mutually beneficial partnership that could push the app growth into a different trajectory. I'm interested how something like that even comes into being. Is that an idea that was floated by you, or was it something that Microsoft or Minecraft came to you proactively with? Just curious how that came to be. So this predated me. But what I will say is that at Tinker, we have two really smart co-founders that come from the engineering background, and they've created several other companies before Tinker. But one of the things that they were really able to identify around coding was to try and figure out what are use cases where this could be of value. And ultimately, it's really hard to market directly to kids. So you have to figure out how do you market where you can influence kids to really learn about your product. And one is obviously going down the route of influencing teachers and really showing them the value of Tinker. And that's one way that kids can really discover Tinker. Another avenue is trying to influence parents about the whole value of what coding does, which is more than just giving kids the essential skills that will help them to be more valuable in the future of work. But beyond that, it gives you all of these other soft skills that are really important regardless of whether you become a coder or not. So the Minecraft angle as I said, predated me, but they were able to figure out that one of the things that kids love doing, but 
that Microsoft doesn't make it really easy is the tool. And I can relate to that because I come from the gaming world at IMVU. We have a huge user-generated creator community, but the tools we offered wasn't necessarily the best. And the same could be said for Roblox, which is ultimately companies focus on their core offerings and there's certain things that they, they don't put enough focus on. And so with Minecraft, that being one area, Tinker really saw the opportunity, like what are some of the things that kids really love doing that really easy? One could be like a skin editor where they come in and create these different avatars and really customize that pretty easily. And so they created an editing tool that really enabled them to do that really easily. And then beyond that, what are other things that kids really love doing, which is just creating different projects within the Minecraft world. And so I feel it was ultimately they were building on one use case. And then from that, just getting more user data and Tinker's a very data-driven company. So in terms of getting data, it's really looking at the data in terms of how users use the product, but also doing a lot of focus groups and surveys to really understand the why behind what they're doing. So I feel it was a combination of all of that user research that really enabled them to come up with more use cases. And as they started building more use cases, it just ended up taking off a life of its own. And that, for the most part, is what has really helped the product grow organically because obviously Minecraft's community has continued to grow. And with that, Tinker has been able to ride on that wave as well. That's really a really awesome story. You touched on this a little bit earlier in that answer, but you obviously have spent a good amount of your career, I guess you could say this, advertising towards the more adult audience. When you look at Roku, IMVU, for example, coming into a company where the majority of your users are going to be within that COBA compliance, does that change your mindset when you first come in and are like, this is what I need to do and hit the ground running doing X, X, and X? You can't necessarily rely on precision marketing or performance marketing like you do maybe at a company where you are able to target those device IDs. That's just a guess that I have, but I'm curious to hear, like, what was your thought process when you're like, okay, I'm going to be marketing towards younger audience. Does that change how I think about things? Or does your idea when you think about growth stay consistent from company to company? To be honest, coming into Tinker, I've had to change my playbook. And you generally have to change your playbook with every different company you go to. But here, the challenge has definitely been a lot different from every other place, because for the most part, you're targeting 18 plus, and there's a lot of other levels you can do. And paid marketing is one of those. Here, it's very hard to market the kids. But what I found was to really, at least I've been here coming up to six months, but one of the things that I've really honed in on pretty early on was to really figure out how could we improve the user experience? And so really looking at that whole area around the first time user experience, and that really starts from when somebody sees an ad or the first touch point that they're going to see about Tinker, that once they come in, what can we do to really make the experience as personalized and as compelling as possible? And that's where just applying a lot of the learnings that I've been able to do at other companies where, where you can really tap into AI and machine learning to really take a lot of this because we have huge data sets of users. And the question is, how do you use that data to really create different cohorted experiences based on where people are coming from. And so for the kids, for the most part, the big challenge with kids is even when kids do register and create an account on Tinker, you have this 15-day window because of the COPA regulation where a parent has to approve that account. And for us, the key thing is we don't force kids to really create an account until they really see the value. And once they see the value, we, for the most part, have like a freemium offering. So it gets them in, gets them really using the product. They see the value. 
and then they hit that wall. And once they hit that wall, by that time, we know that the child has seen enough value. So when we request them to reach out to their parents and to approve their account so that they can continue using the product, there's enough of a story for us to really show the parents of exactly what the child has been able to get out of Tinker and all the value that they've received up to that point. So then parents are more likely to approve that account at that stage. And once they approve that, we've always been super considerate around data privacy. Our business model isn't advertising, so there's no conflict there. And for the most part, it's all around, we have a school product that the schools pay for. And they don't really get exposure to a home product. But once kids are outside of school, outside of the school hours, then we try to do a better job of helping them to discover the home product, which is a consumer product, because we have a broader depth of offerings on the consumer side than we do on the school side. So for kids that are really motivated to learn the code, they will find the home product a lot more interesting. And then once they start using the home product, then it creates that loop where they can tell their parents about it who approve those accounts. But I feel for the most part, there is no remarketing in this game. You can't really remarket the kids. And so the big part really comes down to how do you use your data and how do you create better personalized experiences? How do you use in-app messaging to really be able to be contextually relevant to what the user is looking for? And beyond that, email is a much more of a, an important channel, especially when it comes to marketing to teachers and to parents, because they generally respond better on email. Yeah. So it sounds like that onboarding experience with every app is key. You want to make it as seamless as possible. But the really interesting thing here is you're almost trying to sell it into a person that's not even utilizing the app, them being the parents. So there are certain things I would assume when a kid is going through the onboarding experience, they create things and then they can show their parents what they've created, that type of deal. One of the things that's really popular, or at least that the parents find really valuable, is like a progress report that we try to send out to the parents. And for the most part, what we find is parents don't really log into their account once they have it set up. And so emailing that progress report to parents, they'll be able to see that and it prompts them into coming into the account if they want to try and manage. But for the most part, parents have full transparency and visibility into everything their child is doing. And we try to do our best to really be able to continue to show that value to parents because ultimately the parents are the ones that are paying for this. And the best way to show that is to really show the different progressions that the kid is doing. And our curriculum is built in a way where there's different progressions that the child has to do, and then they do different tests, and then they earn different certifications along the way. So it's kind of like playing a game where you're going through different levels, but except you're going through different levels to really learn how to code, then you're getting that intrinsic value of earning those certificates along the way. Gotcha. And one more point I wanted to bring up is I'm an avid soccer fan in your country, football, as it should be called. And I did notice your parent company, Baiju's, did a big push as they were one of the big sponsors in the World Cup. So I guess the broader question there is, do you see investing in things like tent poles or branding initiatives as being a more valuable medium when you mentioned no remarketing, no more one-to-one marketing? So do you see more success in these bigger campaigns and initiatives than you would maybe at other organizations? 
you bring up a really good point there. So one of the things, and actually Tinker created that. So, so it was called the Baijus Coding Cup, but it was actually powered by Tinker. We did all of the work. But yeah, one of the things that we've come to realize is ultimately we're going after a mass audience because our mission at the end of the day is to get every child to learn how to code by 2033. And that means every child. We don't want to like be self-selective to schools which are in the right school districts. So ultimately, we know that more and more jobs are going to get automated. So it's an essential skill to learn how to code, even if you don't really learn how to code, but understanding code is going to just put kids in a much better position when it comes to the future of work. And so that's where we're trying to figure out what are events that we can tap into, which have mass appeal, where it's going to get a lot of eyeballs. And so the World Cup was one of those. And our parent company, Byju's, ended up having Messi as a spokesperson. And you can say they're bet on the right horse because Argentina ended up winning. But beyond that, the whole focus there was that there's going to be a lot of attention at the World Cup. And what can we do to really, instead of just making it about, hey, buy the product, but what could we do to really create this huge lead gen funnel to really get millions of kids to really start creating their own little soccer simulation game where they were learning the tinker coding to really create this free-by-free tournament and we created the whole thing around gamifying that experience creating this competition where kids were competing with other kids around the world and it ended up being super successful because we got millions of kids that really ended up creating accounts and participating in that and that's really created a, a huge funnel and awareness for tinker and byjuice that we wouldn't have got outside of that but it also feeds into this is something that we could build on and do with other events that are coming up because ultimately, our challenge is to really just be able to get the word out around the benefits of coding. But more than that, we really want to encourage people to become lifelong learners. And by participating in things that are fun for kids, it really gets the parents interested too, because both the parents and the kids were playing that game together and creating their different teams and stuff. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head and taking the little bit of coding that I've done in the past. The progression and the change in coding languages and the constant iterations that they go through is the ultimate retention tactic for someone. If they're into code, if you want to keep up with it, you have to constantly learning. And so it sounds like just the changing of coding languages is a one way to just continuously keep users engaged really quickly. Do you see an adult audience as well? Because I know we've talked a lot about children with this app, but do you see adults also utilizing Tinker? I mean, our core focus is really to focus on the K through 12 audience, but we do see, as you can imagine, there's a lot of the parents, especially with younger kids, this actually becomes like a family activity that they do together. So we see a lot of parents that do end up using a product where they're creating these different projects with kids. And we try to do these different events where we try to do, depending on like different breaks, like the holidays or whatever, where we'll try to run these contests about kids creating different projects. And generally, we find that a lot of parents like to participate in that and to help their kids. That's really awesome. So changing gears a little bit, Lomit, I know that the previous podcast you did with us was really centralized around AI and ML and the role it played specifically within growth marketing for IMVU. That was three years ago. We have now entered the era of, as you could say, maybe the AI wars, open AI, chat GPT is out and people are using it. I myself have been trying to figure out how I can apply it to my own role. Just wanted to get your two cents. You wrote a book on AI in startups. 
what's going on here? What is your POV on all the new stuff happening with AI? Where do you see it going? Maybe not in the next 5, 10, 50, but maybe just in the immediate term in its application, specifically as it relates to like growth marketing. For someone who's kind of embraced AI pretty early, and I know you have too in your career, this is a really exciting moment for us and anyone who really sees a true potential of AI. What I will say is my take on like chat, GBT and everything else, it's really just another iteration of where voice AI started with chat with like Siri and Alexa, except a lot of people still aren't that comfortable just talking to a voice app. And so now chat GBT has taken it to another level because a lot more people are comfortable communicating by writing about something. And ultimately, any AI is just as good as the data it has to work with to train those models. And ChatGBT's advantage is that it's had access to a lot more data before it came out. And it's only going to get better because now, if I read correctly, it was actually the fastest launch in any product in terms of the number of millions of users that really gravitated and signed up for this. And so ultimately, there's more and more training data that's going to come from how people are interacting with this, and it's going to get better. The key thing to keep in mind with AI is ultimately, AI is really there to assist humans to make our jobs and lives better. And so we use a technology in so many different ways, but it's really there to provide a convenience and a service to us. And the people that end up building AI are really humans. Machines don't build machines at the end of the day. And so the way I see AI is ultimately what we need to focus more on is getting more and more people to really get around the whole area of education system to really have learning to code is becoming one of the core parts of the curriculum because more kids from different backgrounds in different places in the world take an interest in learning to code, the more there's going to be diversity around how these products are being built and in terms of how that AI models are going to get trained at the end of the day so that it doesn't just cater to a few, but it actually caters to everyone. I'm super excited in terms of where we're going with AI, but I definitely don't want to people to get scared about this and feel like, hey, this is going to be a killer for my future or whatever. It's like anything. It's really about us evolving in terms of our skill set and figuring out the future is really about how human intelligence and artificial intelligence coexist together and really figure out how the machines are really going to support us because ultimately the machines are only as good as how people adopt it at the end of the day. Exactly, exactly. And I definitely agree with that sentiment. It might seem scary that an AI platform can write an email for you. In the end, I think ultimately we've had tools similar to this for a long time in Google and doing research and stuff like that. This just makes us more efficient at what we potentially could do. And that time I can see you could use it in a different way or you can apply that time that you were wasting, maybe writing that or doing that research in some other fashion. So I definitely agree with you. I think it's super exciting. And you were definitely ahead of the curve in writing that book when you did and talking about it when you did. So definitely appreciate that. I guess that's all the time we have for today. But Lomit, come back anytime. You're always a great guest here. Third time's a charm. But uh, we really appreciate you coming on and talking a little bit about Tinker. Super fascinating product. Love the message that you guys are spreading and education and democratizing that across the globe for people. And it's just really interesting to hear how you guys are doing that and growing the product. So thanks a lot for joining. And hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Thanks for having me. And I love to be back. Great. Awesome. 
Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.